0: I'd like to invite Sister Nisha to come up and give us our scripture reading this morning.
1: The scripture reading is uh, taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6 to 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. says the Lord of hosts if i i will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need i will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your wine in the field shall not fail to bear says the Lord of hosts then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts.
0: Thank you, Nisha. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. As you can tell from the scripture reading, if you were paying attention, today's sermon is not about how to be a great mom. Uh, But it's a continuation of our series on loving the city and being a blessing to the city. And hopefully, if the city is being blessed and becoming a better place to live, moms benefit too. So that's my connection to Mother's Day for today's sermon. Uh, and like I said, today's sermon, it's a continuation of our series on loving the city. And I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this series, I've really been enjoying it. I've been challenged by it. I, I feel like as I've learned more about God's heart for the city, it's been challenging me and my approach to the city, and it's been making me start to wonder as I go through day-to-day life in the city. Like, God, what are you doing here in Hong Kong, here in Tongchang? And how do you want me to be part of it? How do you want us as a church to be part of the things that you're doing in our neighborhood? And today, last week, we looked at generosity towards other people as a way of loving the city. Today, we're looking at generosity towards God as a way of loving the city. And I realize you might be curious about what the connection is between giving money to God and loving the city. Like, isn't that a bit backwards? Like if we really wanna love the city, shouldn't we focus on giving to other people like we looked at last week? Why do we have to give to God as well? And on one level, you're right. Loving the city does involve being generous to the other people around us in the city. As we discussed last week, it's not just about giving them your money, but about giving them yourself. But on another level, we're not ever going to be truly generous to the other people around us until we've learned to be generous to God. So if we're gonna live in a way that blesses the city and is generous to the people around us, we have to learn to be generous to God first. And so today we're gonna see that hearts and lives that bless the city are generous to God. Hearts and lives that bless the city are generous to God. And we'll see that money shows our hearts. We'll see what God expects, God's promise, and then we'll talk about loving the city. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and the way that you've spoken to us in your word. We pray that as we look at your word today, that you would give us a heart to love the city, that you would give us a heart to be generous towards you, that you would give us a heart to be a blessing each day in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see in today's passage is that money shows our hearts. Today, we're looking at the book of Malachi. How many of you actually knew there was a book in the Bible called Malachi? You don't have to put your hands up. <laughs> but it's one of the ones that doesn't get talked about as much, right? It's, it's actually the last book in the Old Testament. And if you look at the Old Testament, God rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He brings them into the promised land and he tells them, if you obey me, things will go well for you. If you do not obey me, things will go bad. And again, and again, and again, they disobey God. And so things go bad for them. They end up being conquered by foreign nations and sent into those nations as slaves. And after 70 years living as exiles in these foreign nations, God allows them to return back to their homes. And Malachi is written after they've returned back from their, from their exile to Israel. And Malachi is critiquing them because he's saying, guys, God gave you 70 years in exile to learn that you need to pay attention to him and listen to the things he tells you and obey him. And you learned nothing. Nothing. We see in verse seven, nothing has changed from the days of your fathers. You've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them despite their time in exile showing them that God is dead serious about seeking their obedience, they don't care. They're just doing their own thing, ignoring God's commands. And so God through Malachi is calling for their repentance. He says in verse seven, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That word return, it refers to someone who's moving in one direction and they stop and they turn around and they go back to where they started. That's when Christians use the word repentance, that's what we're talking about. You're, you're living your life in one direction, moving away from God and you stop, and you turn away from the things that you're chasing instead of God, and you turn back to chasing after God instead. That returning is what Christians are talking about when we talk about repentance. It's a total reorientation of your life. So it's focused around God, not all the other things that you were chasing instead of God. And God says, I want you to return to me. And if you do that, I'll return to you. And they answer by saying, well, how do we do that? The, the scene that's being portrayed here, it's one we've all seen in the movies. It's, it's probably one that if you're married, you've experienced in a conversation with your spouse. Have you ever had this conversation where one spouse sits down and they're like, what happened to us? We used to be so happy together. You need to start putting more effort into this relationship. And then the other one goes, what's wrong with our relationship? Anyone ever experienced that conversation? (laughs) I see some laughter. We've, uh, We've been there. We've seen it in the movies if we haven't been there ourselves. But in this relationship between God and the people of Israel, the relationship is a mess because the Israelites keep abandoning him. They keep turning away from him to follow other gods, to do their own thing. And they're so far from him. They're so oblivious to the reality of their situation that when he says something has to change, they're like, there's something wrong. What are you talking about? They have no idea where to even start when it comes to fixing it. And God tells them it starts with their money. You know, that's actually in normal marriages, human marriages, money is one of the most common things that couples fight about, right? And God says it starts with their money. You look at verse eight, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. He says, just as someone who truly loves their spouse displays that love through practical action, God says, if the people of Israel love him, they're gonna show it through practical action. Specifically, they say, how have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and contributions. In ancient Israel, God made it a law that everyone had to give him one-tenth of what they earned. As they, most of them were farmers, so as they grew crops and as they raised animals, one out of every 10 pieces of wheat that they grew went to God. One out of every 10 sheep that their flock produced was given to God. It was known as a tithe. A tithe means one-tenth or 10%. And God says they have not been giving this tithe. And because they're not giving the tithe, they're robbing him. But it's not just about the money. What we see in the passage is the fact that they're not being generous towards God with their money reveals the fact that actually their hearts are far from Him. Their lack of giving, it's a problem, but it's, it's not the main problem. It's actually a symptom of a deeper problem. The fact that they don't trust God, the fact that they lack a relationship with Him. And He's saying, if your hearts really trusted me to be God for you, you'd be willing to trust me by giving to me. And that's the situation in this passage that the nation of Israel is facing. And isn't this the case with us today as well? I was talking with a couple of guys from the church about this passage this week, and they said to me, "You know, I think the biggest thing that keeps people in our world today from giving to God is this question, what if? What if I give to God and then I lose my job and I don't have enough anymore? What if someone in my family gets sick and we have unexpected medical bills that we can't afford because we gave to God instead?" What if something expensive that I own breaks and I need to replace it? What if, what if, what if? And you know what we're really doing when we use what if as an excuse to not give to God? We're saying, God, I don't trust you to care for me and provide for me. God, I don't trust you to be in control of my future and to work for my good. God, I don't believe that if I live life your way, things will go well for me. I think at a very deep level, we're actually not that different from the people in this passage. What we do with our money is a tangible indicator of what's happening in our hearts. When our hearts have more confidence in our ability to to be in control of our own lives than we do in God's ability to be in control, one of the first places that shows itself is our unwillingness to give to God. See, the primary issue for this people in this passage. It's not a lack of giving. It's unbelief. It's a lack of relationship with God that leads to a fear that he won't provide that then leads to a lack of giving. And God says, if you really believe in me, if you really have this relationship with me, you're going to show it by being generous, which brings us to our next point, what God expects, because actually I think generous might not be the right word right here. Actually, when God talks about giving tithes and contributions in this passage, he doesn't use the word generous at all. Did you notice that? If you read through the passage, he actually talks about these tithes as a debt that they owe to him. My guess is for most of us, if we earn money and we don't give any to God, we're just like, oh, it's my money. I can do with it what I want. No big deal. But according to this passage, at least with the Israelites in the Old Testament, God didn't see it that way. He says, by not giving to him, they're robbing him. This word robbing, it refers to taking something by force that doesn't belong to you. These, these tithes that the passage talks about, they weren't some like voluntary add-on that super spiritual people could do to show that they really love God. God says they're a debt that everyone owes God. If you are in debt and you refuse to pay the person you owe money to the money, that's robbing them. And I think that's the imagery that God is going for here, that everything that people have is a gift from him. We saw in last week's passage that over and over and over, he refers to the land that the Lord, your God is living is giving you, right? Even the land that they live in is a gift from God and God is their king. And as their king, he's made it this law that they have to give 10% back to him. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good deal, right? Like if I were to offer you guys right now, like I will give you a thousand dollars, you have to give a hundred back to me. Who would take that deal? You're lying. All of you would take that deal. That's a really good deal. I'm not offering you that deal just for the record, but if I did offer you that deal, that would be a really good deal. You should take that deal. And that's essentially what God does for Israel, right? He says, everything you have is a gift given to you by me. And I want you to show your appreciation for that gift by giving back 10%. See, if you really believe that everything you have is a gift that you don't deserve, you're happy to give away a small percentage to be able to keep the rest. The problem comes when you believe everything that you have is yours by right. I worked hard for this, I deserve this, it is mine. And then when someone tries to tell you what to do with it, you become angry instead, because this is mine. These people's wrong perspective on where their stuff comes from, leads them to rob God. And they have excuses for not giving. Things that we would probably look at and see as fairly So how could we possibly spare any extra to give to him? Don't these sound like the things that we use as excuses for not giving to God? You know, rent in Hong Kong is so expensive. I don't have too much left over after I've paid it. God, do you realize how much it costs to send my kids to school? Inflation last year was 10%. How do I have money left over after I've bought groceries? You know, there are rumors that layoffs might be coming up in my company. I need to save up just in case that affects me. We think that by not giving, we're creating a safety net for ourselves. But actually what we see in this passage, at least with the Israelites in this passage, is God says to them, the reason you don't have enough is because you're not giving to me. He's saying, if I can't trust you to be good stewards with a small amount that I'm giving you right now, why would I trust you better if I gave you a ton? Isn't that the reality in our lives too? If we have a, a small amount of money, we justify not giving because I don't have enough left over to give. But then as our income grows, so do our expenses. There's a, this reality here that the one who doesn't have enough to give when they earn a small amount, they won't have enough to give when they earn a big amount either. And let me just clarify at this point. I recognize life is hard. The past few years with COVID has been especially hard for a lot of people. And if you're here and you're like, Eric, you're talking about giving Like my family doesn't actually, actually doesn't have enough. We are struggling to put food on the table. How can you tell me to give? And if that's you, I want to invite you come find me or come find less after service because we would love to talk to you. See, one of the realities in Bible times and today is part of the reason that it's so important to give to God is because part of that money goes towards supporting the poor and those who don't have enough. It's one of the means that God uses to provide for those in our community who don't have enough. So if you and your family right now, if you're in need, find me, find less after service. And we'd love to talk more about how the church can help you with your need. And to clarify, like we talked about last week, that doesn't necessarily mean we're just going to hand you a pile of cash. It means that we want to spend time getting to know you and hearing about what's actually happening in your situation and figuring out what is the best way that we as a church can support you and help you get you back on your feet, whether that's giving you cash or whether that's something else. We want to be able to care for you because that's part of what God calls us to do as a church. But for those of us who do have enough, God's expectation is that we would be generous with what he's given to us. Now, what does that generosity look like today? You know, in the Old Testament, there was this very clear command: give one tenth of everything you earn each year to God. It was called the tithe. That means one percent or ten percent. Sorry, not one percent. One tenth, ten percent. Uh, but if you've ever studied this topic, you might know this command to give ten percent is never repeated in the New Testament. Did you know that? So. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say Christians must give 10% of everything they earn to God. So does that mean we don't need to be generous with God like Old Testament Israel is? Does that mean we're free to give less? Well, with Old Testament Israel, the big reason they were called to be generous to God is because God was generous to them first. He had given them everything they had. And that's still true for us today. Everything we have comes from God. I know, I know you studied hard, you worked hard, you did so much to get to where you are today. But think about it, the educational opportunities you had, the connections that got you into these jobs, the fact that you're living in a place where you're able to earn a bigger income. None of those were things that you could have controlled, right? God could have had you born in the middle of nowhere in some tribe that didn't have access to education. You could have been born without the ability to understand the things you need to understand to do your job. The fact that your life has turned out the way it is, is due completely to God giving you blessings that allow you to be able to provide for your family. Everything that we have, the opportunities that we have are a gift from God who gives to us generously. And again, that's why Old Testament Israel was expected to give, but in the New Testament, we actually see more of God's generosity than the people saw in the Old Testament. I mean, we we see the greatest example of God's generosity in Jesus on the cross. Let me ask you, on the cross, what percentage of his blood did Jesus pour out for you? 10%? Did you calculate that pre-tax or post-tax? Was it uh, before he paid for his housing or with what was left over after his rent was paid? No, of course not. He gave everything. He gave his life for you. He gave everything. He laid down his entire life so that you and me can have a new relationship with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it, it describes what he did this way. It says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know, we've all heard of rich people becoming poor or going bankrupt because they made a bad business investment, right? And we've heard of rich people giving lots of money away to the poor. But have you ever heard of a rich person giving away so much of their money that they became poor because of their generosity? No, that doesn't happen in our world. That's a level of generosity that's unheard of. Jesus showed us a level of generosity on the cross where he who was rich became poor so that we through his poverty can become rich. He showed us a level of generosity that is unknown in our world. As people who have experienced more of God's generosity and seen it in more clear ways than Old Testament Israel could have dreamed of, that's not an excuse for us to be less generous. It's actually an invitation for us to be more generous. And in this passage, God makes some promises to the people if they're willing to be generous to him. So let's look at God's promises. See, God realizes the people are going to be skeptical about this. You know, like we we barely have enough as it is. And you're telling us to give some of that away that doesn't really make sense, God. So he promises, if you do this, I will bless you. He says in verse 10 bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. By the way, the only time in the Bible God says to test him is when it comes to giving. Put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That word open the windows of heaven. You know where else that term applies in, or appears in the Bible? In Noah's flood. It opens the windows of the heavens and it keeps raining and raining and raining for 40 days until the entire earth is covered with water. God says to the Israelites, if you are generous to me, I'm going to bless you that way. I'm going to open up the floodgates and just let it pour on you. You won't actually have space to store everything that I'm going to give you for a blessing. But that's not the only blessing he promises to them. In verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. It seems that nature itself was conspiring against Israel to keep them from being able to, to grow food because of their refusal to, to give to God. Creatures like locusts were coming in and just eating all the crops before they could be harvested. The grapevines grew up and and produced nothing. And God says, if you take me at my word, if you test out what I'm saying, I'll stop the forces of nature from working against you and have them work for you instead. And then he says in verse 12, all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And my guess is that for many of us, when we hear a sermon like today about how people need to give money to God, the first responses that come into our minds are like, yeah, of course the church wants my money. Yeah, of course God wants me to be miserable and not have enough. And you know I'll I'll get my reward in heaven, whatever. But that's actually the exact opposite of what we see in this passage. He's saying to the Israelites, I want you to be generous because I want to bless you. He wants us to give to him because he wants our joy. And I know that sounds like the most counterintuitive thing you've ever heard, but it's true because money can't make you happy. I know we always say that about other people, like, oh, look at that person. They have so much money. They're miserable because money can't make you happy. But we always believe it's going to be different for us, right? If I had that much money, I'd be okay. You know, we, we live in Hong Kong. We, I'm sure each of us, if we just close our eyes and think for a minute, we can picture someone we know who has so much money that no normal human being could spend that much money in an entire lifetime. Everyone have someone in mind that fits that description? They have so much money and you think to yourself, if I had that much money, I'd never complain about anything. And yet, how does that person respond to life? Anytime things don't go the way they want, they freak out because their money just gives them this sense of superiority and entitlement and makes them feel like, I really am great. Look how much is in my bank account. Everything on earth, everything in life should go the way I want it to because of how great I am. And anytime that doesn't happen, they're miserable because money doesn't make them happy because money can't make them happy. If anything, their money actually makes them more miserable. Have any of you heard of or seen this show on Netflix called Bling Empire? (laughs) If If you haven't heard of it, I see some laughter. I know you're embarrassed, but you know it. If you haven't heard of it, just imagine if they took the book or movie Crazy Rich Asians and turned it into a reality TV show, right? It's people with absurd amounts of money just living life. And here's the thing. They have crazy amounts of money, but none of them can enjoy true friendship because they're all convinced the people around them only care about them because of their money. They constantly have their guards up because they know people wanna get my money. And so they can't just be free to relax and enjoy life. They do things that they don't enjoy because they feel like I need to do this because it's part of the image I should have as someone who has this much money. Their days are busy, their banks accounts are full and their lives are empty. And money can't fill that emptiness, only God can. Money in and of itself does not make you happy. If all you care about in life is money, you're gonna be miserable no matter how much of it you have. And this command from God to be generous, it's actually aimed at setting us free from this love of money, at breaking its hold on us. See, if you cannot give away your money, you don't truly own it, it owns you. You're a slave and it's a cruel master. You're enchanted like a character in a fairy tale who's unable to control their own actions because they're under a spell. And this command to regularly give away a part of what we earn is God's way of breaking that spell. It's his way of setting us free from money's power over us. And it's only when we're finally free from that spell and free from that slavery, that we're actually free to enjoy, to find true joy from the things that we have. Because until we're free, our money owns us and it's controlling us and we're not, we're not free people. But once we believe that our money is a gift and we receive it as a gift and that sets us free to give away some of it, it allows us to receive it with joy as a blessing that we don't deserve. Which is why... I'd encourage you to try giving, even if you're concerned that maybe I won't have enough because actually this is God's invitation to you finding freedom and joy. You know, God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. If he wanted to right now, he could snap his fingers and there would be a billion dollars in our bank account as a church. And not just our bank account, but every bank account of every church and charity around the world could have a billion dollars like that if God wanted to right? Jesus fed 5,000 people with a kid's lunchbox. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, God made it rain bread for an entire nation every morning so that they could have enough to eat. He has the power to do this, but he doesn't just put a billion dollars in our bank account. Instead, he calls on us to give, not because he needs our money, but because he's after our hearts. He's asking for our money because he wants a relationship with us. He wants our joy, And us trusting Him with our money is that pathway to that joy and that relationship. When we trust God with our money, we're stepping into a relationship with Him where we're truly trusting Him to be God for us and to be good in controlling our future. It's a, a tangible action we can take that shows that we really trust Him with our lives. And to be clear and avoid any misunderstanding, we are not living in Old Testament Israel right the promises of this amazing flood of material blessings if they were generous specifically in this passage that's made to old testament israel it's not made to the individuals it's made to the nations so i don't want you to walk away from this thinking like hey if i put money in the offering box god has to make me a millionaire yes that's not what i'm saying but it's clear that god will bless you if you give. That blessing may be financially, right here, right now, it may be in other ways. God often does bless us materially and financially when we give to him, but not always. You know, a couple of years ago, we had a testimony sharing time here at the church and one guy got up and he shared, you know, for a long time, I I heard that I should be giving to God regularly, but I never had enough left over. Something always went, went wrong and we'd run out of money before the end of the month. And then one day I realized this really needs to be a priority for me and my family. And so I decided I'm just going to give God 10% at the start of the month and trust him to take care of us the rest of the month. And even though his family was operating on only 90% of their normal income for the month, he said that month, nothing went wrong. Not only did they have enough for the month, they actually had some left over and were able to begin saving. And not long after that, God provided more opportunities for him to earn extra income as well. Now, God absolutely can do that for any of us. He can provide financially abundant blessings here and now when we're generous to Him, and He often does that. But if you try giving and that doesn't happen for you, it doesn't mean God's holding out on you. He will bless you for your generosity, if nothing else, in, in a deeper relationship and deeper trust in Him. And like I said, he gives us this invitation in this passage to test me. It's the only time in the Bible that it tells us to test God. Normally it says, don't test God. But right here, he says, test me. You don't think I'll be good to you? You don't think I'll take care of you if, I, if you give to me? Try me, see what I will do. Take this for a trial run, see how it changes things. He says, when we give to him, he looks out for us. And we see this happening over and over in the Bible. One example, since it's Mother's Day, I'll, I'll choose this one, it happens in 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a famine in the land. It hasn't rained in forever. And, and God sends his messenger, Elijah the prophet, to the single mom, who's not even an Israelite. And Elijah sees the woman and he tells her, bring me some bread, bring me, bring me some water. And she's like, hey man, we're out of food. I have enough left to make one loaf of bread. I'm out here picking up sticks so that we can cook that bread. And then my son and I are gonna starve to death. That's, that's how destitute we are. And Elijah says, yeah, 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 that's great. You do that, but before you eat, bring me some bread. Which just sounds so cruel and insensitive, right? <laughs> but he promises her, if you do this, God will provide for you and make sure you do not run out of food. And she brings him the bread. She brings him some water. She's generous to God by providing for God's messenger. And God multiplies her resources so that her family miraculously keeps on having food to eat the entire way until the famine goes away and times get better. When people are generous to God, God provides. That's his promise. And now let's look at loving the city because I realize this sermon is part of our series on loving the city. I hope I've shown why giving to God generally is important and why it's good for you but I haven't really made it clear what that has to do with loving the city. So I wanna close by showing, I think four ways that us giving to God actually helps us love and be a blessing to the city. And the first way is it expands our perspective beyond ourselves. You know, money, it tries to trap us. It tries to get us in this thing where we're focused solely on ourselves, our needs, our wants, our potential future. And when our focus is consumed wholly with ourselves, We're not able to see the needs of the people around us. We're not able to care for the needs of the people around us and learning to be generous gets our focus off ourselves. It gives us a perspective to see and recognize that there's a world out there beyond our immediate wants and needs. It teaches us to actually see the wider city so that we can step out and be a blessing to them. So giving expands our perspective. Second, provides resources that can be used for ministry work in the city. You know, in the Bible times and now, donations to God were used, yes, for caring and providing for the poor, like we saw, but also used to pay the salary of people whose full-time job was in ministry work. And so, when we give to God, we're helping do things like provide for the church to be taught God's word, provide for the church to be equipped for for ministry and service. These things are able to happen because we give to God. Without these donations, the people who lead churches, people like me, would have to go out and get other jobs and our attention and our focus is divided because we can't put as much effort and energy into reaching the lost and training and equipping the church in following God. By giving to God, we're providing resources that allow people to focus more intentionally on helping us grow spiritually and helping the people around us grow spiritually. Third, giving to God gives us a bigger heart for God's work in the city. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, if you show up at church every Sunday, but never give to what God is doing in the church, it's really easy to be an observer to hear about all the things that are happening in the church, but sort of be detached from it. You know, things are going well. We did some cool ministry stuff. That's great. Oh, things sort of crashed and burned over here. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just here for a good show and I'll see you next Sunday. Right? But when we give, our treasure is in the church. We're going to care more about whether resources are being used well We're going to care more about what type of impact the church is having. The things that the church is doing, they're not just things out there anymore. They're stuff that we're part of because our donations are making it possible. And all this gives us an increased heart for ministry and the things that God is doing through the church, which will encourage us to step up and get involved in other ways as well, to be a blessing and to expand God's blessing to other people. So giving expands our perspective beyond ourselves. It provides resources that can be used for ministry work. It gives us a greater heart for God's work in the city. And then fourth, it's an evangelistic tool, right? We, we talked about how giving to God, it's a tangible expression of our faith. Obviously it's not a good idea. Jesus says, don't do this. Don't go around bragging to everyone. Guess how much I give to the church, right? We should not do that. But if you are making this a part of your lifestyle, occasionally it may come up with non-Christian friends that you do this. And that's gonna be weird to them. It's gonna be different. They're not gonna understand it. And it's gonna open up opportunities for you to share with them about why you live differently. Opportunities to share with them about the God who provides for you, even when you give generously to him. But also it's an evangelistic opportunity because we see in verse 12, God says to Israel, when you are generous, the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight. Right? Again, I'm not promising you that if you give, you'll become a millionaire. But I do believe that when we're generous, God blesses us. He changes us from the inside. And like we've already discussed, delight doesn't come from having more. It comes from having a new perspective on the things we already have. If we're learning to receive all of life as a gift, to see God as the good giver, and to give back to Him out of a thankful heart, we'll be able to live with delight on on moderate incomes, more so than people who who have lots of money but are miserable because they feel entitled to even more. I mean, think of how many people you know in Hong Kong that you would say this person lives with delight. Guessing we could count it on one or two hands, right? It's a rare thing in our city to live with delight. But if you give to God and God keeps his promise and makes us a people of delight, If you bring delight with you into your day-to-day life, people are gonna notice that. People are gonna see there's something different about you and that's gonna open the door for conversations with them about Jesus. Being generous to God opens the door for us to share with other people about how good our God is. So church, God wants us to be generous to Him and to the things that He's doing in the world. He's not asking for our money because He needs it. He already owns everything but he cares about us giving because he's after our hearts. He wants us to truly love him and trust him. And he wants us to show that in tangible ways. And that starts with giving. He also cares because he loves our city and he wants us to love our city. And to do that, he needs to set us free from the fact that many of us love our money more than we love our city. And he cares about our giving because he's after our joy and we will not experience that joy until we learn to be generous. I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis that summarizes some of the things we've been saying today. This is how he closes his great book, Mere Christianity. He says, Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you'll find him and with him, everything else thrown in. That's what Malachi is telling us today. When we look for ourselves, when we hoard and pile up just for us, it's gonna make us miserable. But when we're looking for God and his kingdom and we're being generous, we're gonna get him and everything else thrown in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God and a good God who wants us to be a people of joy and delight. And God, we confess that although we want to be a people of joy and delight, we often seek that joy and delight in very different ways than you tell us to seek it. And when we do that, it leads to ruin and rage and decay. Forgive us, God, for our wrong perspectives. Forgive us for our wrong actions. Teach us to be a generous people who love you and the people around us in tangible ways. Help us to be a blessing to our city. In Jesus' name, amen.